mindfulness mode. And from underneath shone through this, this golden light. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Here's a heads up. Stay tuned till the end of the episode for a free giveaway on today's episode, Mindful Tribe. Well, Mindful Tribe, we often talk about passion on the show. We often talk about uh, being held in the palm of your hands through meditation and mindfulness. And today I have the man with me who can hold you in the palm of his hands. And well, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a, an explorer, he's a mountain climber, and he's just a person who has an intense passion for life and he has the greatest laugh of anybody I know and you'll find out about his laugh in a couple of minutes but he just recently spoke at the Vancouver International Mountain Film Festival and he was the keynote speaker and comments came in following that speech where he just captivated the audience with such an intensity and one of the comments was quote held the audience in the palm of your hands. You were brilliant, end of quote. And I wish I could have been there because I know it was absolutely brilliant what he did in that uh, moment with that audience. And we're going to talk more about the theme of that talk and how it tied in with actually the eighth person I had on the show way back in 2015. He was a mental health educator named Brent Seal, a good friend of Mike's. And that's how this whole event ended up being put together because of the connection with Brent Seal. So I'm just thrilled to introduce you today to Mike Shosh. Mike Welcome to Mindfulness Mode again. You've been on the show before. I'm so excited to have you back. Mike, are you in Mindfulness Mode today? <laughs> I, I absolutely am. Thank you, Bruce, for having me. And uh, it's awesome to be back here. Uh, I really enjoyed um, our first session. It was one of my favorite, absolute favorite podcasts. And and uh, and so it's, it's just a great thrill to be back and, and doing this again. <laughs> well, it's a thrill for me, too. So let's start, Mike, with talking about how this whole situation happened with Brent Seal being one of my first interviewees on the show, a mental health educator and an athlete and a mountain climber. And then he recommended that you contact me and become a guest on my show. Let's talk about how all of this happened, Mike. When was the first time you heard about mindfulness mode from Brent and thought of contacting me to be a guest? Right. Yeah, no, that, that's a great place to start, Bruce. And um, yeah, well, my story with Brent goes back about 15 years, actually. Um, and he told me along the way, because he had a journey and, you know, he had a whole story, like his story is pretty inspiring in itself. And, um, and he told me along the way about his interview with you, his podcast that he did. And, and that was kind of in the earlier stages of him getting into, into public speaking and that sort of thing, and just how much of a good time he had. So when he when he told me, hey, you should contact Bruce and you should uh, be on this podcast or look at being on this podcast. I thought, you know, this is and I listened to the podcast that you did with him. And I just thought, oh, this is this is a perfect fit. Um, and just a little bit of background on, on Brent, um, you know, for those who haven't listened to that podcast with you. Uh, so Brent and I, we um, 
Well, we go back uh, when Brett was in university and I was doing a, a leadership workshop at the university that he was a student at uh, auditorium about, a, I don't know, hundred people or something. And, um, and I remember the first break, uh, Brent came up to me and he said, he said, Mike, he said, how do you become a public speaker? And I said, well, you, you go out into the public and you speak. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then he said, well, then he turned around. And he said, well, Mike, he's like, but I've got this challenge. I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And, uh, and I said, well, I don't know. I don't know what came out of me, but I just said, so. And I think that was kind of the spark that, that just sort of fused our, our, uh, you know, a friendship, a connection that would, go on for the next 15 years in, in just in life and in the mountains. We climbed many mountains together. I watched Brent, um, I, well, I watched Brent overcome, you know, many mental barriers, um, you know, over the years and also become a very accomplished mountaineer and, and speak to audiences. I mean, he spoke to audiences uh, far greater than I ever spoke to in the subsequent years and, um, and just, um, just became this inspiration uh, you know, this, this huge inspiration, not only for the mental wellness community, but just beyond that for anyone. Um, and it was, it was a yeah beautiful thing to see. And, and unfortunately, uh, last September, Brent, um, you know, he, he died on Mount Manaslu in the Himalaya, just below the summit there around 8,000 meters, um, which, you know, hit, hit the community very, very hard and his family. And, um, but this event that you mentioned in the introduction, that was meant to be an honor, you know, like honoring Brent, you know, who he was, what he stood for, and and a way to to just continue this legacy that he started about inspiring people to to tap into their into their mental wellness, into that language of the heart, and 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 not limit themselves um, based on what you know they believe they can or cannot do but just to continue to take those steps. They don't have to be major leaps forward, but take steps forward. And, and that was what Brent was, was brilliant. And that's kind of the message we want to continue to, uh, to, to, to carry forward here. Yeah. Well, it's just incredible what Brent did to inspire people. He was a very inspiring man. And, and yeah, speaking of Brent, you can go back and listen to him on mindfulness mode, mindfulnessmode.com slash zero zero eight. He was my eighth guest. So go back and listen to that episode when you get a chance. But yeah, since that time back in 2015, he's just done so much, so many public speaking events and so much to raise awareness of mental illness. And and it's just phenomenal what he did. And, and then absolutely shocking what happened last September when he passed away, but his legacy continues. So tell us more about your speech and how that spoke to the people, how that reached the people through what you said. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things I talked about up there was um, for that night was this concept of, uh, uh, of the bardo, the bardo, this is a Tibetan term. Uh, it's a, it's a, it means it literally translates as place of transition or a transitionary state between, uh, between death and rebirth. Mm. between who we were and who we become. And we know that the Tibetans 
they believe in reincarnation from lifetime to lifetime. But what they also believe is that we can experience many incarnations uh, in one lifetime. So, and the bardo is the place, well, if you think about it, the reason why we can experience those incarnations is because we're constantly changing, right? So we're not the same person we were when we were born, uh, nor are we the same person we were 10 years ago, five years ago, or perhaps even last week. Uh, and the bardo is that place where we can choose, um, you know, what part of me do I want to let go? What part of me that no longer serves me that I can just let be? And what part of me do I want to carry forward into who I become? And so this was something deeply linked to Brent because I saw Brent go through challenge after challenge after relapse after challenge and, 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 and use his illness not as a, as a crutch or some sort of a life sentence, but as a, um, as a springboard from which he could create new life. And uh, he actually said something to me one day. He said, you know, embrace the suffering. He's like, embrace the suffering because that will help us overcome future sufferings, which I thought was, was very profound. Yes. So, yeah, so one of the, the ideas behind this bardo is that we can, we can continue to move forward and not be limited by our past, right? Because what, we, what actually tethers us to the past or the future is what we keep inside of us. There, there was a quote I read um, at one time by, you know, according to, uh, to spinal surgeon, this renowned spinal surgeon, Dr. Hanscom, he said um, 90% of the people feeling some sort of chronic pain are still angry at the person or the situation that hurt them in the first place, but that the, the person they are actually angry at the most is themselves. So, you know, what tethers us to the past or the future is, is what keeps us or what, what we keep inside of us. And uh, so the idea of this, this, you know, this Tibetan concept of the bardo is that, you know, we choose what we want to be keeping inside of us and what limits us and what's, you know, what springs us forward, how we can create new life for ourselves in this lifetime. Yeah, we definitely choose and, and we choose whether we want to do the work in order to release this, in order to work through it, that's for sure. Tell us about the mood in the room when you began your speech. I know it was following a film that was shown. Maybe you can tell us a bit about the film. Sure, yeah. No, the film was called, uh, this was the world premiere of the film about Brent uh, called A Life Inspired. And uh, it was done by a good friend, uh, James Freistack, who's an award-winning filmmaker and very talented um, and the film itself was just um, just about capturing, you know, who Brent was and uh, and what he stood for in terms of, you know, not letting his limitations kind of uh, uh, like not letting him fall into his limitations, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what could he do? You know, how could he use those to to move forward? And and one of the um, the speeches or not speeches, but something he said towards the end of the film is just something that his dad had said to him. And, you know, shortly after he was diagnosed with, uh, with schizophrenia, when he was still, you know, just coming out of the psych ward and, and uh, his dad said to him, um, you know, you can still live a great life. You can still live a great life. And, and those words, Brent talked about how that meant everything. Brent didn't actually even believe his dad when he, his dad spoke those words to him, but, you know, over time, gradually, those words started to sink in more and more, and it allowed him to, um, to kind of believe in himself, 
right? To, to believe in himself, to give himself the permission to live a great life. And what did that look like? Um, so that was, those were, those words were very important. So Brent will say, or he would say, um, uh, you know, like, no, no matter who you are or where you are in life, um, if you can, if you can believe in something like just, you know, just give them the words, just, you know, believe in them, that, that, that little opening can mean a world for somebody and believe in yourself. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a very powerful thing about um, our message about the film and and uh, and just you know some of the, it kind of captured these beautiful images of mm-hmm. where Brent went. Um, you know, he summited to Mount Aconcagua, highest mountain in South America, uh, Mount Denali, highest mountain in, in North America, and um, you know climbing all over the world and and then you know making his way to Everest base uh, base camp. Um, to, uh, to check out Mount Everest. That was kind of his next objective, uh, which he was hoping to do this spring. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then he went for, uh, Mount Manaslu last fall as a, as a practice climb for okay. Mount Everest. And then that's of course where, where, you know, where he died, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it was a beautiful film, just kind of pulling these pieces together. Um, the scenery, the mountains, wow. the, the trajectory of Brent, you know, how he, you know, uh, turned into this very accomplished mountaineer over the years, and 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 these messages that he would he would talk about as well. Yeah, and Mike, is that film going to be made available to the public? Will we be able to see it? It is. Yeah, I. It's not available yet, but um, I think James is just figuring out how he would like to share it with the world, and mm-hmm. and also kind of you know talking with the fam- with Brent's family as well in terms of sure. you know making sure that they're okay with that and. Right. And if it yeah. is available, I would definitely put a link in the show notes so that Mindful Tribe, you can you can watch this beautiful, inspiring film. It would be just amazing to see that. Tell me, have you been, I'm sure you have, at events where Brent was the speaker? And take us there. What was that like? I, yeah, I have. <laughs> well, actually, my friend and I, we um, that very first event that we did where I met Brent that I mentioned, um, the, the gentleman who, who taught at SFU, Simon Fraser University, and I, we hosted another leadership event, um, again, inspired by Brent and inspired by this idea of, of climbing the mountain, climbing, you know, your, your mental wellness uh, mountain, basically. And so, um, so Brent was a speaker there. And he, um, yeah, he, I mean, he was, he, he, you know, it's funny, you could see him evolve over the years. Mm-hmm. And just as he got more and more comfortable sharing about his story and, and more comfortable on stage as well, just how he captivated the audience and, and could inspire the audience to, um, to again, just move outside of their head, like uh, their own belief system. So, um, yeah, I was trying, I'm trying to think of one of the key messages that um, from that, this was a few years ago now, but, um, but I think a lot of it was going back to that, that what I mentioned there about embracing the suffering, embracing the struggle. Um, you know, when, when we do that, it actually gives us fuel to, you know, to, to better deal with the future struggles and sufferings that we might encounter down the road. Right, so, because so often we attempt to suppress the suffering, suppress the anger, the pain, and that's the exact opposite of what we need to do. Isn't that right? Absolutely. I mean, when we, that's actually not a very good thing for anybody because when we suppress, um, you know, it, it can, it's still energy, right? It's still yeah. energy, energy that has to come out. 
Mm-hmm. So it can manifest in different ways. It can create blockages in our systems, whether yeah. it's in our body or in our health. Um, you know, it could manifest in some into some sort of chronic disease. Uh, you know, like my point there about the, the the surgeon. You know, it could manifest as some sort of nervous system related. Um, you know, chronic pain. So the best thing is not to suppress. Uh, the best yeah. thing is to is to find a way to release it. Um, you know, Brent and I, we would often go hiking into nature to heal. That was one of the key coping mechanisms or, yeah. or ways to, to, to sort of release whatever we were dealing with. Um, so, so, and that was key. I, I think nature has a, has a beautiful way of allowing us to heal. Uh, I mean, we are nature at the end of the day. So yeah. putting ourselves in that environment and just being mindful, you know, t- talking about being mindful, but just not letting the noise of society get to us, but just focus in on, you know, how is my, how is my foot landing on the root or the rock yes. or, or, you know, or, or, or just take it in the scenes or the sounds and all of that. Um, I think that's very important. That gets us out of our head as well. Yeah. And you told me a story about being out with Brent and, uh, you both started laughing and laughing and laughing. Can you share that story with us? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because over the years we climbed all these big mountains and, you know, had these big epic days. But, but you know, I would say <laughs> one of the most memorable days we ever had out there was not on some big mountain or not on some big epic day. It was on this little, um, this little winter hike up to this cabin. And uh, to get to that cabin, you had to go walk up all these switchbacks back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until you finally get there. And, uh, and we had a beautiful conversation up all the switchbacks, you know. And then when, we, when it was time to come down, that day I was on my skis and Brent was in snowshoes. And Brent's actually a much better skier than I am, but that day he happened to be in his snowshoes. Um, so when it was time to come down, I just I would ski down a little bit. And, and then I'd wait for Brent and, and he'd kind of catch up on the snowshoes and then I'd ski down a little bit more and he'd catch up on the snowshoes. And I thought, I thought there's gotta be a better way to do this. <laughs> and, and he, uh, uh, I, you know what, in all the years, Brent and I have been climbing together, not once had he ever brought a crazy carpet Except for that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why he brought a crazy carpet, but there it was. And I said, okay, well, we have this crazy carpet. You know, do we have, do we have a little bit of short rope? And for some reason, Brent had packed a little bit of short rope that day. <laughs> so I said, okay, okay, well, let's, let's try something here. Let's tie ourselves together by the waist. And, um, and I just pointed my skis down and we, got going we, we started picking up speed <laughs> and, uh, and, and i remember coming flying down these switchbacks coming up the bank brent would come down right behind me on the crazy carpet he'd go flying right up the bank almost flying right into the woods yeah <laughs> and, then, and then the rope would catch him at the last second and whip him down the next switchback <laughs> and we were we were laughing like so hard we were laughing like children yeah i mean people coming up the you know hiking up the, the trail they were they could hear us before 
they could see us. Yes. They see me coming, you know, flying down past them, just like laughing my head off, like, what is wrong with this guy? And then, and then right behind me was this grown man on a crazy carpet, just slapping his head off. They were almost, you know, <laughs> jumping out of the way. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it, you know, it was a good reminder about, actually, it taught me something very important. I realized many years later that, you know, for, for us, it was never about actually climbing mountains. It was just about being out there, yeah. know, being out there with my friend. And, and, um, and so I think that's, that's an important thing to, to think about. For sure. The joy of sharing nature with a friend and just being able to let go, which is yeah. what you yeah. obviously yeah. did. You know, it kind of, it reminds me of this story, uh, you know, there's this story I heard once about a um, about a golden Buddha. Yes. Right. Um, and and there was this golden many many years ago. There was this golden Buddha in a monastery, and the monks there they heard that there were some people coming to take the to take what they had. And they didn't want you know them to take the golden Buddha, so they covered the whole thing with mud. They covered it with mud, and um, you know, so it just looked like this big clump of mud. And there it stayed for many days, and then weeks, and years, and you know, years turned into decades, and then to a point where everybody forgot there was actually a golden Buddha under there. Um, and, and except for one day when this young monk was uh, sort of picking at the mud, and he 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 kind of picked a piece off, and from underneath shone through this this golden light. Um, and you just reminded me of that, of that, because I think life is like that, right? You know, we have these moments where we just have this radiating light that shines through us. Um, you know, whether it's walking through one of, as I mentioned, one of the bardos of our life with confidence, uh, or whether it's just like you said, embracing fully and openly a moment of pure joy. And the question becomes, you know, what do we do in those moments? Do we, do we, do we cover it back up? You know, do we cover it back up with mud as though it never existed or as though it was a figment of our imagination? Um, or do we, um, you know, and we might do that out of, out of anger or fear, or it's because of some expectation that society, you know, expects of us. Uh, or do we do we have the courage to practice and slowly, bit by bit, remove more, more and more of that, those pieces of mud, right? Um, so I think that's that's an important. I mean, Stephen, one of my favorite quotes of all time, Stephen Pressfield. He said, "You know, our job in this lifetime is not to shape ourselves into some ideal we imagine we ought to be. Uh, it is to realize who we already are, and then become it." You know, realize who you already are and become it. Beautiful quote. I, I love reading Stephen Pressfield's work. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. On that day, which was just a few days ago, on Sunday when you were delivering this speech at the Vancouver International Mountain Film Festival, tell us what your goal was with your speech. Right, yeah, I... I think a lot of it was, um, well, a lot of it was to celebrate and honor what Brent, you know, who Brent was. And that kind of connects to who we were in the mountains, um, which is about listening to that deep place within us. Um, you know, that language of the heart, 
And I think that's innately who we are. Um, and so, you know, finding that place of, of stillness again, you know, we look at what's happening in the world right now, you know, people are afraid people are, are, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, there's wars going on, um, people dying, you know, it's like, it's like we're, we're, I mean, if you think back to that story about the golden Buddha, like we're covering ourselves with mud right now. Yes. You know, we are the golden Buddha. Then we're, we're covering every, we're covering everyone with mud um, out of fear and out of, you know, violence and, and all the rest of it. So, so part of what the other night was about, it was about connecting again with that, that deep place within us, just because I think that's, what's going to, the more we can connect with that, the more we can, kind of act out of that and and you know and and that's going to send more constructive uh behaviors choices vibrations into the world that's going to actually you know i think sort of help us out of this this state that we're in right now um you know especially coming out of covid as well you think about that like you know yes. self-isolation and you know what that did to us uh, yes. psychologically and so you know so there's a lot going on and I think the best way to, at least what I've found in my own experience, the best way to find meaning and, and just maintain my own sanity through all of this is to connect with that deep place again. Yes. Within. Um, because it doesn't make sense to, to get wrapped up in the storm. That's not no. constructive. That's not no. going to actually help us. Um, no. It's going to actually do counter that. Um, what's going to help us is connecting with that deep place within us again, um, that place of, of joy that place of loving kindness, compassion, um, everything that that makes us, you know, feel good, you know, from as a, as a human being, like from that soul, basically our, our soul, um, you know, if we can connect more with that and be that and practice that, that's what's going to be important here. During the speech, you were connecting the minds and hearts of the audience and and through doing that, you had a, a time of meditation to reach a spirit of joy. Can you tell us about that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, that's really the crux of the whole thing. You know, it was about connecting again back to who we are, innately are. And, uh, and thinking about that story with Brent, when we were coming down there, just experiencing that total moment of joy. I mean, that's really what life is about, you know, so if yeah. we can open ourselves to those moments, um, you know, it just kind of it reinvigorates us from a, the deepest level, you know, we can imagine and, um, and just sort of allows us to connect again with that language of the heart that I think is very much needed today. Yeah, very much needed. You're an author. I mentioned that in the intro and your book is called A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. Mm. And when I first saw the book, A Story of Karma. I thought, oh, what a great title. But then, of course, that title has has a double meaning. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the, the book, uh, well, the book is a, is a, um, it's a journey, but it's a, it's a memoir of, you know, what drew me to Nepal back in 2012, um, you know, 10 years ago. And, uh, and how I was led there to climb this pyramid mountain that I thought that that's the reason why I was going there. But everything kind of 
didn't happen that way. I got caught in a snowstorm at 17,000 feet and, and the mule that was carrying my climbing gear ran away. And, and so all these things started unraveling and, and I just, um, I just couldn't understand why that was happening. I was feeling frustrated. I was feeling down, you know, all this whole dream of climbing in that mountain and climbing in the Himalayas since I was a kid was being shattered before my eyes. And, but I just thought, you know, I had to trust in the, in, in, in kind of like the unfolding of events and, and trusting in that led me to the most beautiful encounter of my life, which was meeting this little girl uh, in this remote mountain village at 14,000 feet in elevation. Um, her name is Karma and her sister, little Pemba and their family. And we've, and my, my wife Chantal and I, we've, we've created this beautiful relationship over, over 10 years now, um, seeing the girls grow up, but we met them when they were seven and three, and they just had a had such a passion to learn, such a passion to 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 just you know experience the world. Um, and so we we worked with the parents over the last several years, and you know how can we work together in in sort of a co-parenting way? Um, you know their parents bring in the best of what they know. Chantal and I bring in the best of what we know, and sort of both being there for the girls in that way. And, and we've grown very close. Um, and yeah, that, that, you know, is a little bit of a synopsis about the book and, and doing it in a way that they, um, you know, don't forget who they are or where they're from. And at the same time, they can embrace this larger world around them as well. The book was so memorable. It was, it just drew me in and I absolutely loved reading it. And when I read it, I knew that I had to interview you. I was so excited about interviewing you and, and uh, wow, it was just, just incredible. Tell us more about what brings joy to your life, Mike. Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, the two things that spring to mind one is, you know, without a doubt, those two little girls yeah. in the mountains, uh, Karma and Pemba, and and just. But it's because of what you were willing to do. It's because you were willing to listen to those signs and go with it. Other people might have thought, "Oh, well, that's interesting," but then they might have thought, "What, well, you know, I need to continue doing whatever I'm doing." And you just l- allowed those messages to influence you, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I think that's that's heavily tied into the that deeper intelligence that we're talking about. That I, I guess you could yeah. call it like an Earth intelligence or, you know, heart intelligence, um, that we just know. I mean, that's where, that's where we feel at home. Um, and it's when the mind starts getting too much in the driver's seat, that's when things start to, to swerve out of control. Um, you know, if I had let the mind stay in the driver's seat on back in 2012, I, you know, who knows what would have happened? I would have said, you know, no, I got to force this climb through, or, or maybe I, I would have stayed frustrated in my head and not paid attention to the little signs. Um, you know, maybe I, we would have had the encounter with karma there in the village, but maybe I would have just said, oh, well, that was nice. And let's just move back home or whatever. Um, you know, who knows? But, but when we open ourselves to that deeper intelligence, that heart intelligence, then we can start to pick up on these you know, we call them synchronicities, or we can tap deeper into our own into what we call the intuition. And that's when things start coming together. We know that we're following the heart intelligence 
when we can feel and see things coming together in a synchronistic way. Um, because nature moves that way, right? Nature moves in its yes. own. Everything is, I mean, you know, we can look at a tree and think of it as, as an isolated tree, but it's not. It's, you know, if you were to look a few inches under the ground, you would see that it is a highly intelligent, interconnected web of, you know, you could almost say one organism, um, just feeding, everything's communicating, feeding itself, reallocating resources. Um, so I think that's much the way that we operate as well. We're directly connected. I mean, we are nature, as I said, we're directly connected yeah. into that. We fool ourselves if we believe that we're not. And, um, and by tapping into that, that deeper intelligence, that's when we start to see these kind of natural synchronicities emerge. And, and, and it, it's, it, you know, back to your question, that's what brings joy. You know, when yes. we're tapping into that, whether it's coming sliding down the mountain, in, in, you know, with, yeah. with the person that we're close to, or, or just, you know, whether we let it lead us to, you know, these other beautiful connections that might, you know, might form in some way, um, and connection with ourselves, you know, it, allow, it leads us to the connection within ourselves. Um, and I think that's, again, going back to the earlier conversation, that's what we need more of right now. Definitely. You know, we don't need more siloed behavior or more sort of isolation or more separateness or more division. What we need is we need to realize that we're in this together and that we are all part of this together. And that what I do affects everyone else and what everyone else does affects me. And so, you know, we might as well um, realize that and connect, you know, with that fundamental uh, truth. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to be able to just allow life to happen and embrace it, embrace it, embrace it. You laugh so much and have such a great laugh. And how, uh, how does that seem to, I guess what I'm asking is, have you always been that way? Have you always been able to just let go and laugh and, and have humor in your life? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just as natural as that, yeah, isn't like it? Not all the time, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think if you think about what got us here, there, there's, a, there's another Tibetan saying I heard um, some time ago, you know, if you, could, if you could stack the bones of our ancestors, they would be higher than Mount Everest. So, mm -hmm. you know, you think about like, how many people lived their lives in a way that allowed us to be here. And even you and me having this conversation right now and just the opportunities that we have in front of us. I mean, it took thousands, you know, tens of thousands of lives and, you know, over many, many, many years. Right. Um, and think about what they struggled with and what actions they took and the courage that they had and, and all of yeah. that. And, and, and then, and then it, you know, now we're here. And so, it, you know, if you think about it in that way, it's like, how could we not be joyful by being here? Yeah. yeah. So, Mike, you have something for our listeners. You have something to uh, to give to our listeners as a as a result of this this uh, interview today. For sure. Yeah. No, I'd love to. I'd love to gift uh, two copies of my book, A Story of Karma: Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. 
And um, it's, again, it's a story of love and joy and, and human connection, deep human connection across cultures and continents. And, and I think it's something that, um, that could be very helpful today. Beautiful. So just send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and put karma in the subject line and we'll get that book out to you. We just need your address and uh, just reach out and the book is yours. Two, two lucky listeners. Do that, please. Awesome. <laughs> Mike, I'm, I'm curious, what's your call to action? What, where should we go next? As far as, you know, Brent talked about mental health and wellness and, and you share the message of joy and this message that you share in your, your beautiful book that you've written called Finding Karma, or it's called A Story of Karma, rather. Tell us where to go next. Well, there's a, actually something Brent said to me once, which was, you know, find that thing. Find that thing that brings you alive. Um, and I think that's really what it's about. You know, it's, it's finding the, you know, well, there's that, that another quote that actually comes to mind too, by Rumi, mm -hmm. which, you know, he said, um, what in life is calling you? What in life, what in your life is calling you? When all the, the noise is silenced and the meetings adjourn, the lists laid aside and the wild iris blooms by itself in the dark forest. What in your life is calling you? What still pulls on your soul? And I think that's really what it's about. It's about meditating on that. And we know what it is. We know, like, know within our heart what it is. We may not know within our mind, but we know within our heart what it is. And I think the more we, we listen to that and take steps towards that, the more things will, will become clear. You know, it may not happen overnight, yeah. but... Um, but it's about, sometimes it's about just moving in that direction. Yeah, I love that. What in life is calling you? And we have to stop and listen. Mm. And like you said, we already know, but a lot of times we don't stop and pay attention. Totally. Yeah, and, or our mind gets in the way, right? I mean, you could take yeah. somebody and put them in the most beautiful setting, the most calming, you know, na natural setting, natural environment. And if they're caught in their mind, they're going to be thinking about, oh, I got to, you know, I got to do that next deal, or I got to, you know, negotiate with that person, or I got to scheme on this thing over here. Like they're going to be totally, again, under the mud. They won't even be able to see that. So I think it's, again, like tapping, practicing, having the courage to go deeper. What in your life is calling you? And then just starting, starting there. Yeah. Great place to start. And Mindful Tribe, you can hear my interview with Mike when I interviewed him about the book. That was back episode 611. So mindfulnessmode.com slash 611. Final words, Mike, before we, before we say goodbye. What thoughts would you like to leave Mindful Tribe with? Uh, well, you know, I, um, I wrote a little poem. Maybe I'll share that. Please do. Uh, I love this poem, and I, I think that would be a perfect way to end this conversation. It kind of sums up everything that we that we talked about, and and it was actually yes. inspired by um, well, it was inspired by many things, but one of the things it was inspired by was was Brent. Uh, yeah. So I'll just I'll just leave us um, leave us with this stillness stillness. 
It is the beginning and the end of all things. Like the pool of water returned to its natural state or the tiny droplet taking rest on a delicate leaf. It is the eye of the deer, a dark and endless orb as deep as the universe filled with a billion stars. It is the great owl extending from branch and trunk, seeing from behind its yellow eyes, hearing what cannot be heard. Heavenly clouds basking before the golden sun, a great snowy mountain still as stone. Rays of morning light dipping through the treetops. It speaks the language of the earth, a language that has been shaped and carved and created over a hundred million years. It is the language of the heart. It is where our souls come alive. It is what we call home. And so as long as I draw breath, I will do my best to move toward that stillness, to be that stillness. For that is where I find myself. That is where we find each other again. Beautiful, beautiful. And on that note, thank you so much for being on the show again, Mike, and all the very best to you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Yeah, it's been a pleasure being here again and, and having this conversation. And um, yeah, no, I look forward to seeing where we go from here. Awesome. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the show, Mindful Tribe. Just a reminder of the free book offer that Mike mentioned earlier. The book is by Mike Shosh. It's called A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. And I can tell you, this book was a pleasure to read. It was a heartwarming adventure. The first two listeners to email me will win a free hard copy of the book. So don't delay. Send the email right now. Send it to me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com with karma in the subject line. Thanks for listening, Mindful Tribe. Take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.